Section 29 of the Interpretation of Dreams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brell. Section 29. The Means of Representation in Dreams, Part 2. In many cases, indeed, we discover the meaning of the dream only when we have subjected the dream content to a multiple inversion in accordance with the different relations. For example, in the dream of a young patient who is suffering from obsessional neurosis, the memory of the childish death wish directed against a dreaded father concealed itself behind the following words. His father scolds him because he comes home so late, but the context of the psychoanalytic treatment and the impressions of the dreamer show that the sentence must be read as follows. He is angry with his father, and further, that his father always came home too early, i.e. too soon. He would have preferred that his father should not come home at all, which is identical with the wish that his father would die. As a little boy, during the prolonged absence of his father, the dreamer was guilty of a sexual aggression against another child, and was punished by the threat, Just you wait until your father comes home. If we should seek to trace the relations between the dream content and the dream thoughts a little farther, we shall do this best by making the dream itself our point of departure and asking ourselves, what do certain formal characteristics of the dream presentation signify in relation to the dream thoughts? First and foremost, among the formal characteristics which are bound to impress us in dreams are the differences in the sensory intensity of the single dream images, and in the distinctness of various parts of the dream, or of whole dreams as compared with one another. The differences in the intensity of individual dream images cover the whole gamut, from a sharpness of definition which one is inclined, although without warrant, to rate more highly than that of reality, to a provoking indistinctness, which we declare to be characteristic of dreams, because it really is not wholly comparable to any of the degrees of indistinctness which we occasionally perceive in real objects. Moreover, we usually describe the impression which we receive of an indistinct object in a dream as fleeting, while we think of the more distinct dream images as having been perceptible also for a longer period of time. We must now ask ourselves by what conditions in the dream material these differences in the distinctness of the individual portions of the dream content are brought about. Before proceeding farther, it is necessary to deal with certain expectations which seem to be almost inevitable. Since actual sensations experienced during sleep may constitute part of the dream material, it will probably be assumed that these sensations, or the dream elements resulting from them, are emphasized by a special intensity, or conversely, that anything which is particularly vivid in the dream can probably be traced to such real sensations during sleep. My experience, however, has never confirmed this. It is not true that those elements of a dream which are derivatives of real impressions perceived in sleep, nerve stimuli, are distinguished by their special vividness from others which are based on memories. 
The factor of reality is inoperative in determining the intensity of dream images. Further, it might be expected that the sensory intensity, vividness, of single dream images is in proportion to the psychic intensity of the elements corresponding to them in the dream thoughts. In the latter, intensity is identical with psychic value. The most intense elements are in fact the most significant, and these constitute the central point of the dream thoughts. We know, however, that it is precisely these elements which are usually not admitted to the dream content, owing to the vigilance of the censorship. Still, it might be possible for the most immediate derivatives which represent them in the dream to reach a higher degree of intensity without, however, for that reason, constituting the central point of the dream representation. This assumption also vanishes as soon as we compare the dream and the dream material. The intensity of the elements in the one has nothing to do with the intensity of the elements in the other. As a matter of fact, a complete transvaluation of all psychic values takes place between the dream material and the dream. The very element of the dream, which is transient and hazy, and screened by more vigorous images, is often discovered to be the one and only direct derivative of the topic that completely dominates the dream thoughts. The intensity of the dream elements proves to be determined in a different manner, that is, by two factors which are mutually independent. It will readily be understood that those elements by means of which the wish fulfillment expresses itself are those which are intensely represented. But analysis tells us that from the most vivid elements of the dream the greatest number of trains of thought proceed, and that those which are most vivid are at the same time those which are best determined. No change of meaning is involved if we express this latter empirical proposition in the following formula. The greatest intensity is shown by those elements of the dream for whose formation the most extensive condensation work was required. We may, therefore, expect that it will be possible to express this condition as well as the other condition of the wish fulfillment in a single formula. I must utter a warning that the problem which I have just been considering, the causes of the greater or lesser intensity or distinctness of single elements in dreams, is not to be confounded with the other problem, that of variations in the distinctness of whole dreams or sections of dreams. In the former case, the opposite of distinctness is haziness, in the latter, confusion. It is, of course, undeniable that in both scales the two kinds of intensities rise and fall in unison. A portion of the dream which seems clear to us usually contains vivid elements. An obscure dream, on the contrary, is composed of less vivid elements. But the problem offered by the scale of definition, which ranges from the apparently clear to the indistinct or confused, is far more complicated than the problem of fluctuations and vividness of the dream elements. For reasons which will be given later, the former cannot at this stage be further discussed. In isolated cases, one observes, not without surprise, that the impression of distinctness or indistinctness produced by a dream has nothing to do with the dream structure, but proceeds from the dream material as one of its ingredients. Thus, for example, I remember a dream which on waking seemed so particularly well-constructed flawless and clear, that I made up my mind, while I was still in a somnolent state, to admit a new category of dreams, those which had not been subject to the mechanism of condensation and distortion, and which might thus be described as fantasies during sleep. A closer examination, however, 
proved that this unusual dream suffered from the same structural flaws and breaches as exists in all other dreams. So I abandoned this idea of a category of dream fantasies. The content of the dream, reduced to its lowest terms, was that I was expounding to a friend a difficult and long-sought theory of bisexuality, and the wish-fulfilling power of the dream was responsible for the fact that this theory, which by the way was not communicated in the dream, appeared to be so lucid and flawless. Thus, what I believe to be a judgment as regards the finished dream was a part, and indeed the most essential part, of the dream content. Here, the dream work reached out, as it were, into my first waking thoughts, and presented to me, in the form of a judgment of the dream, that part of the dream material which it had failed to represent with precision in the dream. I was once confronted with the exact counterpart of this case by a female patient who at first absolutely declined to relate a dream which was necessary for the analysis, because it was so hazy and confused and who finally declared, after repeatedly protesting the inaccuracy of her description, that it seemed to her that several persons, herself, her husband, and her father, had occurred in the dream, and that she had not known whether her husband was her father, or who really was her father, or something of that sort. Comparison of this dream with the ideas which occurred to the dreamer in the course of the sitting showed beyond a doubt that it dealt with the rather commonplace story of a maidservant who has to confess that she is expecting a child, and hears doubts expressed as to who the father really is. The obscurity manifested by this dream, therefore, was once more a portion of the dream exciting material. A fragment of this material was represented in the form of the dream. The form of the dream, or of dreaming, is employed with astonishing frequency to represent the concealed content. Glosses on the dream, and seemingly harmless comments on it, often serve in the most subtle manner to conceal, although of course they really betray, a part of what is dreamed. As, for example, when the dreamer says, Here the dream was wiped out, and the analysis gives an infantile reminiscence of listening to someone cleaning himself after defecation. Or another example, which deserves to be recorded in detail. A young man has a very distinct dream, reminding him of fantasies of his boyhood which have remained conscious. He found himself in a hotel at a seasonal resort. It was night. He mistook the number of his room and entered a room in which an elderly lady and her two daughters were undressing to go to bed. He continues, Then there are some gaps in the dream. Something is missing, and at the end there was a man in the room who wanted to throw me out, and with whom I had to struggle. He tries in vain to recall the content and intention of the boyish fantasy to which the dream obviously alluded, but we finally become aware that the required content had already been given in his remarks concerning the indistinct part of the dream. The gaps are the genital apertures of the women who are going to bed. Here something is missing describes the principal characteristic of the female genitals. In his young days, he burned with curiosity to see the female genitals, and was still inclined to adhere to the infantile sexual theory which attributes a male organ to women. A very similar form was assumed in an analogous reminiscence of another dreamer. He dreamed, 
I go with Fräulein K into the restaurant of the Volksgarten. Then comes a dark place, an interruption. Then I find myself in the salon of a brothel, where I see two or three women, one in a chemise and drawers. Analysis. Fräulein K is the daughter of his former employer. As he himself admits, she was a sister substitute. He rarely had the opportunity of talking to her. But they once had a conversation in which one recognized one's sexuality, so to speak, as though one were to say, I am a man, and you are a woman. He had been only once to the above-mentioned restaurant, when he was accompanied by the sister of his brother-in-law, a girl to whom he was quite indifferent. On another occasion, he accompanied three ladies to the door of the restaurant. The ladies were his sister, his sister-in-law, and the girl already mentioned. He was perfectly indifferent to all three of them, but they all belonged to the sister category. He had visited a brothel, but rarely, perhaps two or three times, in his life. The interpretation is based on the dark place, the interruption in the dream, and informs us that, on occasion, but in fact only rarely, obsessed by his boyish curiosity, he had inspected the genitals of his sister, a few years his junior. A few days later, the misdemeanor indicated in the dream recurred to his conscious memory. All dreams of the same night belong, in respect of their content, to the same whole. Their division into several parts, their grouping and number, are all full of meaning, and may be regarded as pieces of information about the latent dream thoughts. In the interpretation of dreams consisting of several main sections, or of dreams belonging to the same night, we must not overlook the possibility that these different and successive dreams mean the same thing expressing the same impulses in different material. That one of these homologous dreams, which comes first in time, is usually the most distorted and most bashful, while the next dream is bolder and more distinct. Even Pharaoh's dream of the ears and the kind, which Joseph interpreted, was of this kind. It is given by Josephus in greater detail than in the Bible. After relating the first dream, the king said, after I had seen this vision, I awaked out of my sleep, and being in disorder, and considering with myself what this appearance should be, I fell asleep again, and saw another dream much more wonderful than the foregoing, which still did more fright and disturb me. After listening to the relation of the dream, Joseph said, This dream, O king, although seen under two forms, signifies one and the same event of things. Jung relates how a veiled erotic dream of a schoolgirl was understood by her friends without interpretation, and continued by them with variations, and he remarks, with reference to one of these narrated dreams, that the concluding idea of a long series of dream images had precisely the same content as the first image of the series had endeavored to represent. The censorship thrusts the complex out of the way as long as possible, by a constant renewal of symbolic screenings, displacements, transformations into something harmless, etc. Scherner was well acquainted with this peculiarity of dream representation, and describes it in his Leben de Traum, in terms of a special law in the appendix to his doctrine of organic stimulation. But finally, in all symbolic dream formations emanating from definite nerve stimuli, the fantasy observes the general law 
that at the beginning of the dream it depicts the stimulating object only by the remotest and freest illusions. But towards the end, when the graphic impulse becomes exhausted, the stimulus is, itself is nakedly represented by its appropriate organ or its function, whereupon the dream, itself describing its organic motive, achieves its end. A pretty confirmation of this law of Scherner's has been furnished by Otto Rank in his essay. This dream, related to him by a girl, consisted of two dreams of the same night, separated by an interval of time, the second of which ended with an orgasm. It was possible to interpret this orgastic dream in detail, in spite of the few ideas contributed by the dreamer, and the wealth of relations between the two dream contents made it possible to recognize that the first dream expressed in modest language the same thing as the second, so that the latter, the orgastic dream, facilitated a full explanation of the former. From this example, Rank very justifiably argues the significance of orgastic dreams for the theory of dreams in general. But in my experience, it is only in rare cases that one is in a position to translate the lucidity or confusion of a dream, respectively, into a certainty or doubt in the dream material. Later on, I shall have it to disclose a hitherto unmentioned factor in dream formation, upon whose operation this qualitative scale in dreams is essentially dependent. In many dreams in which a certain situation and environment are preserved for some time, there occur interruptions which may be described in the following words. But then it seemed as though it were, at the same time, another place, and there such and such a thing happened. In these cases, what interrupts the main actor action of the dream, which after a while may be continued again, reveals itself in the dream material as a subordinate clause, an interpolated thought. Conditionality in the dream thoughts is represented by simultaneity in the dream content. We may now ask, what is the meaning of the sensation of inhibited movement which so often occurs in dreams and is so closely allied to anxiety? One wants to move and is unable to stir from the spot or wants to accomplish something and encounters obstacle after obstacle. The train is about to start and one cannot reach it. One's hand is raised to avenge an insult and its strength fails, etc. We have already met with this sensation in exhibition dreams, but have as yet made no serious attempt to interpret it. It is convenient, but inadequate, to answer that there is motor paralysis in sleep which manifests itself by means of the sensation alluded to. We may ask, why is it then that we do not dream continually of such inhibited movements? And we may permissibly suspect that this sensation, which may at any time occur during sleep, serves some sort of purpose for representation, and is evoked only when the need of this representation is present in the dream material. Inability to do a thing does not always appear in the dream as a sensation. It may appear simply as part of the dream content. I think one case of this kind is especially fitted to enlighten us as to the meaning of this peculiarity. I shall give an abridged version of a dream in which I seem to be accused of dishonesty. The scene is a mixture made up of a private sanatorium and several other places. A manservant appears to summon me to an inquiry. I know in the dream that something has been missed and that the inquiry is taking place because I am suspected of having appropriated the lost article. 
analysis shows that inquiry is to be taken in two senses. It includes the meaning of medical examination. Being conscious of my innocence and my position as consultant in this sanatorium, I calmly follow the manservant. We are received at the door by another manservant who says, pointing at me, Have you brought him? Why, he is a respectable man. Thereupon, and unattended, I enter a great hall where there are many machines, which reminds me of an inferno with its hellish instruments of punishment. I see a colleague strapped to an appliance. He has every reason to be interested in my appearance, but he takes no notice of me. I understand that I may now go. Then, I cannot find my hat cannot go after all. The wish that the dream fulfills is obviously the wish that my honesty shall be acknowledged and that I may be permitted to go. There must therefore be all sorts of material in the dream thoughts which comprise a contradiction of this wish. The fact that I may go is the sign of my absolution. If, then, the dream provides at its close an event which prevents me from going, we may readily conclude that the suppressed material of the contradiction is asserting itself in this feature. The fact that I cannot find my hat, therefore, means you are not, after all, an honest man. The inability to do something in the dream is the expression of a contradiction, a no, so that our earlier assertion to the effect that the dream is not capable of expressing a negation must be revised accordingly. The fact that I cannot find my hat is an experience of the day which has been exploited in various senses. Our servant, who is a genius at stowing things away, had hidden the hat. A rejection of melancholy thoughts of death is concealed behind the conclusion of the dream. I have not nearly done my duty yet. I cannot go yet. Birth and death together, as in the dream of Goethe and the paralytic, which was a little earlier in date. In other dreams in which the inability to do something occurs not merely as a situation but also as a sensation, the same contradiction is more emphatically expressed by the sensation of inhibited movement or a will to which a counterwill is opposed. Thus, the sensation of inhibited movement represents a conflict of will. We shall see later on that this very motor paralysis during sleep is one of the fundamental conditions of the psychic process which functions during dreaming. Now, an impulse which is conveyed to the motor system is none other than the will, and the fact that we are certain that the impulse will be inhibited in sleep makes the whole process extraordinarily well adapted to the representation of a will towards something, and of a no which opposes itself thereto. For my explanation of anxiety, it is easy to understand why the sensation of the inhibited will is so closely allied to anxiety, and why it is so often connected with it in dreams. Anxiety is the libidinal impulse which emanates from the unconscious and is inhibited by the preconscious. Therefore, when a sensation of inhibition in the dream is accompanied by anxiety, the dream must be concerned with a volition which was at one time capable of arousing libido. There must be a sexual impulse. As for the judgment which is often expressed during a dream, of course, it is only a dream, and the psychic force to which it may be ascribed, I shall discuss these questions later on.
For the present, I will merely say that they are intended to depreciate the importance of what is being dreamed. The interesting problem allied to this, as to what is meant if a certain content in the dream is characterized in the dream itself as having been dreamed, the riddle of a dream within a dream, has been solved in a similar sense by W. Steckel, by the analysis of some convincing examples. Here again, the part of the dream dreamed is to be depreciated in value and robbed of its reality. That which the dreamer continues to dream after waking from the dream within a dream is what the dream wish desires to put in place of the obliterated reality. It may therefore be assumed that the part dreamed contains the representation of the reality, the real memory, while on the other hand, the continued dream contains the representation of what the dreamer merely wishes. The inclusion of a certain content in a dream within a dream is therefore equivalent to the wish that what had, has been characterized as a dream had never occurred. In other words, when a particular incident is represented by the dream work in a dream, it signifies the strongest confirmation of the reality of this incident, the most emphatic affirmation of it. The dream work utilizes the dream itself as a form of repudiation, and thereby confirms the theory that a dream is a wish fulfillment. End of section 29. Recording by Alicia in Philadelphia.